Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I know you guys are really going to enjoy. I don't think we need a lot of introduction, but uh, Curtis Yarvin is a political theorist. He writes on Substack at Gray Mirror. Curtis, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Warren. Absolutely. So there's been a surprising amount of contact between your ideas now and a lot of more mainstream kind of political operators, guys in the GOP, activists on the right, that kind of thing. And so I wanted to start out by asking you what you think about some of some people and their reactions, kind of the way they're going. We've got a lot of people like, say, Chris Rufo, who are saying your approach is a little too cynical, that there's still, you know, there's still democratic solutions. You do the right kind of activism. You kind of bring this right wing kind of Alinskyite uh, tactic to bear on things and you can make real change. What do you think about what he's doing in the prospects that that has? Well, you know, there's a there's a great quote by do you know the name R.L. Dabney? You might know the quote that I've I'm thinking it. of. Um, you know, R.L. Dabney was, um, uh, shall we say, a 19th century writer, and uh, he has this line where he says, uh, "You know, the only role of conservatism." is i'm paraphrasing here i don't have the exact quote but he's basically like the role of conservatism is to basically keep radicalism in shape and give it this sense of having an enemy which is like always out there and like ready you know basically you're creating when you sort of think about what you're doing when you basically administer these kinds of little pinpricks that seem basically designed to create as much hostility as possible at as much sort of fear as possible. Because, you know, let's look at, for example, what DeSantis is doing with a new college in Florida. Let's just take that as like a picture of, okay, what's going on here? What's being done? And I don't know exactly what's going on there and what's being done. But I can think of a sort of a number of different options and directions. Essentially, there was this little old hippie college that somehow became affiliated with the state of Florida that, you know, enables the governor of Florida to select the board of this college. Right. And so the idea is, uh, you know, I was talking to a friend about this and he referred to it as like, you know, the opening salvo, you know, as if like, you know, like the way D-Day had worked was that first you'd sent like a fishing boat there with like a couple of guys with like, you know, like rifles and they, you know, taken some pot shots at the beach. Right. You know, and just to let the Germans know you're there, you know, basically kind of feel out the softness of the territory. Right. And, um, you know, no, T-Day was not announced, you know, and, and the, and so when you sort of dig down into the details, you basically see that what you're generating with this effort is, okay, what's the optimal result? The optimal result is you get another Hillsdale, which for those of you who don't listening is a very, you know, nice classical Christian, you know, constitution oriented. Uh, I'm not sure they approve of me at Hillsdale, uh, you know, college in, where is it, Michigan, something like that. So, you know, basically you're like, okay, you're creating like Hillsdale in Florida. Okay. Now, if you have the funding to create Hillsdale in Florida, 
um, your very best solution to creating Hillsdale in Florida, supposing that you think that will solve a problem, is to buy a tract of Florida swampland, put up some buildings on it, hire some faculty, and basically say, who wants to come to this thing? If you basically say, okay, you know, if your goal is to create something, that's probably what you'd do. If your goal is to basically generate press and headlines and like media flow and campaign contributions, what you would do instead is pick as much of a fight as you can. So the way if you wanted to pick a fight, what you would do is and it's, it's funny when the you know, the people sort of trying to do this kind of thing don't really, you know, the history if you look at the history of politicians trying to basically get communism out of the educational system, which is, you know, obviously a cause that's, you know, at least as near and dear to my heart as Chris Rufo's, you'll see that its peak was really sometime around the 1920s. And, you know, institutions like tenure were specifically adopted, like the idea of the state legislature banning communism in the state university is an idea that's like 100 years old. And 100 years ago, needless to say, it was undertaken with quite a bit more, shall we say, prejudice than anything Ron DeSantis could do. Right. And so, okay, you have a majority on the board of New College. What are you going to do with that majority? Now, if I were sort of restricted to those limitations then what I would do is to say, okay, um, what kind of departments do we have at the new college? We have um, humanities and STEM. I love the word STEM. Actually, I hate it. So, okay, we're basically going to clear out the humanities department, hire an all-new humanities fac you know, faculty from, like, credential to nons, and, um, you know, boot this thing back up. And then, of course, you have to deal with the accreditation departments, because if New College loses its accreditation, which it will, it's just a diploma mill. It's not even an official part of the system. So actually, accreditation, besides, you know, tenure, I don't, I'm not even sure if this board can legally get rid of the, uh, most of the, you know, English department of New College. Probably they can't. Of course, they can pass a rule saying, hey, no communism in the classroom or whatever. Don't say gay. Like, I don't know. Right. You know, and, and the thing is, the whole thing is this like, you know, incredibly ineffectual and provocative thing where you're just like, oh, we're going to tell all the like, you know, woke kindergarten teachers in Florida that they have to be um, in theory a little more delicate about, you know, putting the trans flag in the classroom or whatever, maybe put it in the back or something. There's no enforcement structure. There's no like, you know, if you actually wanted to enforce these rules on existing institutions, great, you know, hire, you know, 20,000 people to like, you know, create, you know, do what they did in Canada with like the human rights tribunals where they basically created this whole new superstructure of uh, human rights law, which of course is like woke law. And then they created a new court system to impose it. That's slightly better than infiltrating the existing court system, you know? And so it, it's, or like in the Islamic Republic of Iran, you, know, you have, you know, Islamic tribunals that will Islamify everything. You want to do that? Like, okay, you know, like, 
what I object to is basically like I'm not saying that if you want to go like full Islamic Republic of Iran in Florida, it wouldn't work. It would work. I don't think it really matches the temperament of Floridians. I don't think that they're really a whole lot like um, Iranians in 1978. But, you know, am I saying it like wouldn't work? I wouldn't saying that, you know, but the thing is, it's like there's a very important like issue of like power and how it's used here. And, you know, one of my, you know, Machiavellian beliefs is that the principal use of power, the only proper use of power, especially when you have almost none is to use it to get more power, not to spend it on things that will, um, things that are sort of evanescent and ephemeral and so when I basically look at sort of this approach to the culture war, where you're basically going to like take a fortress of the enemies, like by force, by political force and like storm it. What are you going to do with all the like the lib students at like new college, by the way, are you ideally, maybe you'd keep like the lib professors around and like, you know, your freshman class would have, you know, based freshmen and based professors. And then the sophomores would be like lib freshmen with lib professors or something. It's just weird. Like if you want to start like a, you know, if you want to start a like dental floss company, don't like acquire like a car company and try to turn it into a dental floss company, because that's roughly the difference between what new college is and what it should be. Moreover, I can guarantee you that what they're going to do to new college is nowhere near as like, basically they'll have this like built in headline generating force as the, like the noble, like, you know, professors of new college stand up to censorship and the students organize and like show themselves, right? You know, you basically got this like New York Times content generator that's going to give you like a scopes trial, like, you know, because this was basically the same thing as like the scopes monkey trial in the 1920s, right? You know, and and in, in, instead of like, don't say gay, it was don't say evolution, right? And the like, I'm using these like ridiculous... Of course, this is like this ridiculous lib caricature of both the Florida, quote, don't say gay law and the, you know, evolution law that Clarence Darrow was challenging. doesn't matter. Basically, you're giving goals to your enemies. And when basically you're doing something that purports to be strategic, but is actually this like printing press for your enemy, like, why are you doing this? Like, you're actually, that's like sort of objectively somewhat you know, it, it, it's like, and, and so when I basically look, you know, circle back at what's tempting to be done here. And I would say that myself and like Chris Rufo agree on the fundamental existential importance of owning the lips. However, we disagree completely on the way to do it. My feeling is that owning the libs involves and like in a way politics is like sex. Like you're, you're, you're sort of aiming to build this like relationship of like ownership, which is almost a sexual relationship. And there's, there's sort of two ways to kind of create, you know, the ownership of that kind of bond, which you might call seduction and rape. And, you know, both seduction and rape have created many, you know, 
wonderful human beings. Many of our ancestors were the products of rape. I'm not saying rape can't make babies. Okay, rape can make babies. However, I'm on the side of seduction. And the reason I'm on the side of seduction, especially in this case, is I don't think Chris Rufo and Ron DeSantis have it in them to be rapists. I think what they're doing instead is that they're being a little bit rapey. And I can tell you that being a little bit rapey never once conceived a child. So I think what most people are going to push back at, besides the metaphor there, is the uh, is the assertion that they're not trying to acquire power, right? Because I think you're right. I think, and you've said this often, no. I think it makes perfect sense, but they're going to say, look, we're, we're going to a place that manufactures consensus. We're trying to take control of it, right? Like this is a move that, and these people are going to call you Hitler if you sneeze anyway, right? Like, yeah. So, no, so no, saying that no. you're feeding people narratives is, is something that I think a lot of people have a problem with because they say, look, they have a narrative if we, if we sleep at night. And so, the, so what, no matter what action you take, will be decried as the as second coming of the mid-century Actually, Germans, Actually, right? like, you know, that's, that's also wrong, I would say, in okay. that you're like, yes, you know, basically any way that you have of being a little bit rapey is going to be like, this is Hitler. This is like the king of all rapists ever, right? And so they're like, you know, why shouldn't I be a little bit rapey? I'll be called a rapist even if I'm not, you know, doing anything rapey the reality is like dude you're not doing anything rapey but even if you're like thinking in a rapey way like you know these people will like feel it and then they'll be like are you a rapist and they're like well i don't usually rape but you know right you know and and so you know the getting yourself in the mindset of like no the only way to win is to actually seduce my enemies to actually tempt them into showing them that i have something sexier than who they're married to right now, right? You know, and and that's a, that's like a, just a deeply, deeply different approach from like anything like rapey. And that's an approach that basically says, okay, here's how you're going to win the culture war. You are going to make not even mainstream, like it's not even you're going to like make more money with your conservative movies. Like, no, that's not even the first step of the problem is to make money with your conservative books and movies or whatever. No, actually what's an even deeper problem is you have to be cooler than them. You have to basically make, you know, you have to get to, to win the culture war. You have to have the coolest culture. No way around that. Right. And so when I look at the kind of people that are kind of trying to win the culture war by sort of this like dominance of like mass institutions, it's like you come across like you love trees and you come across one day like there's this like forest which like has been cut down. It's terrible beautiful old old trees cut down. And so you're like, okay, you know, I want to have a forest here. This is bad. So what do you do? You start taking these like cut down trees and like get a bulldozer and like jam their ends into the dirt. Right. You know, and that's what you're doing when you basically try to win the culture war in this kind of like rapey way. You actually would be getting a much better yield of trees if you were planting acorns instead of trying to replant these cut down trees. But you'd have to be more patient. You'd have to basically be doing something that doesn't have this spellbinding return of like this feeling, you know, all of like conservative like propaganda sort of 
you know, it's like always like the name of Turning Point USA, like like embodies this situation where it's just like we're about to win. We're on a turning point. Right. Dude, you're nowhere near a fucking turning point. Excuse my French. And and like, you know, like to get to a turning point, you'd have to be like um, uh, unrecognizably different from where we are instead you're basically selling you know people this delusion of impact and this delusion of getting something done that will like solve the problem of like wokeness in america and i'm like you know i can give you i think a pretty persuasive argument that the age of the problem of like wokeness in america is probably between 400 and 500 years old uh, I think it can be traced back to the reign of Henry VIII, right? And and I'm not, and certainly to Elizabeth, and the like, and 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 because you're basically wokeness is the modern creation. It's the modern iteration of Puritanism. It's the like the religion of New England. It's like you know <laughs> the same thing over and over again, right? And so when you're basically saying hey, this is not a problem that started in 2012. This is something bigger and deeper and much more historical than anything. And it is not going to be fixed by a Band-Aid. It is not going to be sort of like fixed in this like kind of like cheap, like rapey way. It's like, no, actually you have to be like, you know, tell me like Ron DeSantis, if you're on this call. But, you know, if Ron DeSantis was on the call, I would basically be like, suppose you had actually, you know, I don't, it doesn't even make, this concept doesn't even make sense. But suppose you had basically absolute power in Florida. What would you even do? What do you want to do? What's your like bucket list? What's your fantasy? And the answer is, I bet he doesn't even know a bit, you know, because why would he know? Like, how is that going to happen? It's never going to happen. Right. And so the problem is that, if you come, if knowing that nothing like this can ever happen, you come out and you say, well, nothing like this can ever happen. You know, the best we're just like putting some band-aids on managing the decline here and, you know, giving a place for you to send your like uh, um, kid where to college. So he like learns math instead of, uh, you know, um, acquiring three breasts, then, you know, and and if Ron DeSantis could come out and basically say, this is not a solvable problem, you can't solve the problems with this problem with a tool that you have, you're basically, if this is the America that you believed in, this is not your America, never was your America, and basically just like bend over, lube up, you know, and, and that's not a message that gets a lot of, you know, I believe that to be the truth, sort of from at least the perspective that someone like Ron DeSantis is operating in. I believe that basically, you know, the effects of the net on the national conversation of DeSantis, uh, you know, type stunts, you know, Martha's Vineyard or whatever, right, is basically to generate more subscribers to the New York Times, more contributions to the ACLU, more feeling among, you're giving the aristocracy of this country, the blue state elite, exactly what they want, which is this basically fe enough fear that they basically feel that they have to like band together and like, you know, put in machine gun posts to repel the crazy peasants with pitchforks. 
and you're not actually threatening them. You're not actually doing anything like dangerous. You're not actually going to park any tanks in Harvard Yard. You're just making them giving this like giving them this like little frisson of excitement that they need to get through their like stale bureaucracy ridden days. So really, actually, you're providing this incredibly needed service to the I mean, think about what you're doing for like journalism. You're like basically like everyone can come out and say, wow, you know, we're scared of the new like the new American fascism is developing with like Ron DeSantis, who is Italian, like Mussolini, who is the original fascist. Right. You know, and 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 like and uh, I mean, they played that game with Trump for years. I mean, Trump won the Republican nomination because he was just too good for the liberal media not to cover. Right. They loved him. And and the like they're not going to do that this time. I think they got genuinely scared. But, you know, they're I mean, the DNC is supporting like kook, all the kook candidates and Republican primaries that it can find. And so typically you're going to get this effect where, you know, your primary is like a, a, a Koch brothers um, um, supported like Bushite versus like the craziest kook that the DNC can find. And, you know, like there's nothing again, you're just you're completely jammed up there uh, in terms of anything sort of reasonable and realistic and effective. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, unfortunately, one of the things that I sort of really dislike about this kind of like regime change light rhetoric is that it just falls into this sort of or you know the culture war rhetoric it just falls into this like category of something that's like really good for its enemies if you want to understand how to win a culture war by force by political force then go to wikipedia and look for the entry for denazification. And you'll find what it takes to basically change the mind of an entire country by force. It basically requires like, you know, having like 10% of the country fill out a dewokification questionnaire that will then be judged by a new like judicial force of like 50,000 based judges who will decide whether you get canceled for like having been woke or let, you know, just even not having been anti-woke. If you weren't anti-woke, don't expect to keep that job as a professor. Right. You know, and, and the thing is, if you're prepared to do something like that and you actually have the power to do it, the support to do it, the energy to do it, um, who am I to say no? I'll tell you it's going to work. But the thing is, basically, you know, like being a little bit rapey, especially from someone who's basically just simply does not have any qualifications to be a rapist, frankly, is just like this sort of ridiculous stunt that can only end badly. And the fact that that sort of DeSantis's stunts are like more realistic than Trump's stunts, which usually didn't even happen at all, is just like it's sort of the wrong message in the wrong direction. Does so uh, it, it does. I, I think the problem for most people is, well, I, I think they hear you and they say, OK, seduction instead of this. Right. I need something that's going to that's going to slowly change this and woo people to it. But in the meantime, you know, my kids go to school. 
and mm-hmm. the, and they have to have friends and they have to find people to sure. marry and like there's the things that we're talking about are affecting them right now well and- yeah so 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 if you want to like if you basically like the choice being a little bit rapey is like not an effective choice here and so if you're basically ready to seduce with a lot of power very very fast that's an option too but the thing is again you have to like do it and seducing like you know let's look at for example if like DeSantis was like okay I'm going to basically like seduce a new elite and I'm going to basically say okay you know all the cool kids who don't fit in and are like get 1600s on their SATs are going to want to go to new college. If you wanted to go to MIT, but you're tired of woke shit, that's got to be 15% at least of the MIT application pool, like go here. You know, that's something relatively faster you can do. If you want to go even faster, you know, do crazy things like take the whole Florida public school system and put every public school under the control of the local PTA. Like at that point, you're basically like, like saying, okay, yeah, we're like, you know, um, um, like if you want to start actually blowing up large things, either you have the power to blow up large things or you don't. If you don't ask for the power to blow up large things and basically say, hey, Floridians, you know, if you elect me next year, we're going to have radical change to the public school system radical change will consist of every public school is under the absolute control of its parents they can run it themselves which would be crazy or they can hire a contracting firm to run it for them and like that's how you're going to get different textbooks in florida you're going to get textbooks that basically appeal to some firm that is working on behalf of the parents that's like holy shit we're a christian school we need christian textbooks you know versus the like little bit rapey version of saying we're going to pass a law that says textbooks in florida will not endorse you know communism or race communism or whatever you know wokeism or whatever you know whatever the kids are calling it these days right you know and basically you know it's like these like big effective like powerful moves yeah like if you can sort of imagine making that move or if you can even say okay this is the kind of move that we need to make where we're just going to basically take everyone in the florida public school system who is not a teacher fire them all and put the teachers under the exclusive control of the local pta and if they want the local pta wants to teach them that like Jesus created the world in 4 BC, like we'll order some up some books and they'll be about Jesus creating the world in 4 BC. And, you know, probably what happens if you're like a blue state person who believes in the big bang and all of that, well, probably you shouldn't move there, get out, you know? And, and like the, 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 like, again, you know, you can imagine sort of moving with actual strength. If you get your mind out of, this mindset that believes that these really negligible actions, which basically only stimulate the enemy are substantive. You know, I came up with a, with a, you know, funny analogy for this, which is simply, you know, when you're talking about power, 
you're talking about something that can be defined on a unit range. It's like zero to one or 0% to 100%. Either you have no power, which is 0%, or you have absolute power, you know, maybe just in some space, and that's 100%. Uh, and one way, but, you know, one way of talking about percentages, you know, that I like because um, I like to drink is uh, alcohol. So, you know, we can instead speak uh, in terms of proof. And we can say that basically, let's say Ron DeSantis wants to turn the Florida educational system into what it was in 1890, uh, Modulo, and, you know, a few changes, uh, you know, or turn it into anything, turn it into anything he wants. And basically, or anything the parents want, or just like complete regime change in the Florida schools. Okay, that's like 200 proof. That's like the grain alcohol, my little like give control of the schools to the PTA is like the grain alcohol of education reform. Okay, so, you know, when we basically say compare the grain alcohol of education reform to uh, don't say gay or whatever you call it if you're not a lib, uh, what do you call it if you're not a lib, the don't say gay law? I believe it's the parental rights or protections bill. The parental rights or protections bill. So you compare the my proposal for protecting parents' rights and that proposal for for protecting parents' rights. So if my proposal is basically two hundred proof, one hundred eighty proof, whatever, straight up Everclear, uh, you know, how would you describe the actual thing that got passed in terms of proof? Well, you know, it's a little known fact that I think you're on the lower range, frankly, of alcoholic beverages. In fact, I think you may even be below the range of what we normally consider alcohol. It's a little known fact, for example, that orange juice, even Florida orange juice, is often about one proof. And so basically what you're doing when you're doing this is basically selling people a glass of orange juice and calling it a screwdriver. And like, you know, for money and office and fame and all of these like corrupt things. And I just like, I can't get behind basically taking these people who have this like real desire to like send their children to school and like have their children come out of that school with the same beliefs that they learned at home and were taught. And, you know, it's really none of my business how like, you know, offensive those beliefs are to like myself as like a California, New York Jew, right? You know, and, and if you basically take those people who have a real problem to solve, they really need to get hammered. They're at that bar for a reason, right? They need that screwdriver. And you're basically saying, okay, here's a screwdriver. And you pass that person a glass of orange juice. Like you're not a good person, like, you're not doing a good thing. You're not like, you know, this is not the initial salvo. And, you know, this person's going to be pretty sad at the end of the night. They feel that they've had six screwdrivers and they should be absolutely wild. And instead, like, nothing is happening and they're just pretending to be drunk. And, and like, this is what you're doing when you basically do the sort of take the kind of little bit rapey approach to culture war. But doesn't it feel like everything then is too incremental, right? Like, I agree that the program you're describing would be far more total in its ability to to kind of change the paradigm. Sure. I mean, it's, are, it's, it's still insufficient. As, right. Like, People are going to say, well, the what overall if... shape, shape, you know, like, but at least it's like something, right? It's still like basically not, you know, it's not a like deep national transformation of the spirit, right? You know, and so, you know, like you have to acknowledge that if you think America 
is on as wrong a path as it seems to be to the people who voted for Ron DeSantis, then yeah, you actually do need a deep national transformation of the spirit. And you don't get a deep national transformation of the spirit without a deep national transformation of the regime. Right. You know, and, and so like, there are plenty of ways to imagine the depth of that change and the depth of such a change. Not only does it not have to involve any kind of violence, I can't even imagine it coming close to working if you thought about it that way, because it has to be basically much more seductive than rapey. And, you know, and, and like the feeling of any kind of change like this should be like extremely joyous and it should be extremely joyous, basically involving the like it should have an avant garde of people that just like absolutely feel the right to be in charge. And these are people who know that there is no one in the world cooler or more on top of it or like better informed of them. These are people who like believe they are the future. You got to grow that you don't have it. And like, and so, yeah, I'm like, okay, I can imagine sort of more like rapey ways to do things. Um, like my proposal to, you know, give the parents control of the school system. Uh, are, are they ready for that in Florida? You know, but like the thing is that, uh, you know, even if you basically adopt this sort of approach of dominating by force, having this kind of like clean, decisive, the old thing is out and the new thing is in is like very different from, I mean, you know, it's like my like metaphor of like the sort of loss of, I mean, just absence of will that characterized the Trump administration. It's like you had this incredible like populist revolution. People really thought that they were like electing a totally different future and they get this guy, Donald Trump, who really feels like a big man, he feels like a king, he talks a big game, and, you know, he's like a winner, right? And they get him, and, and his job is to basically make sure Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. And he gets up there on the wall with Humpty Dumpty, and it's like, it's really high up. And he like looks down and he's like, holy shit, I could fall. And like, what's going to happen here? And instead of pushing Humpty Dumpty off the wall, he basically reaches over and gives him a little, little tap on the eggshell. Right. And Humpty Dumpty flips the heck out and is like, oh my God, it's a long way down. I'm a freaking egg. I could be like, you know, and he like gets his tap on the face. He kind of rocks back and forth. He's like, I'm going to fall. And he's like, okay, I'm not going to fall. And then he's like calls for like all the king's horses and all the king's men and all the king's horses and all the king's men would not have been able to put Humpty back together again. But can they knock Donald Trump off the frickin wall and can they tear him apart? They sure can. And can they tear apart anyone who ever supported or worked for him? They sure can. And that's exactly what they did. And like, you know, down to like the ridiculous January 6th, like fiasco. And, and like, it just shows that like, you know, there's a sense in which you look at like the whole Trump experience and like MAGA and Twitter and all of that. And you're just like, you're not tall enough for this ride. And the problem is that, you know, Ron DeSantis comes in, who's like, you know, gone to Harvard and Yale and been in the Navy and is only in his forties. And like, you know, probably, you know, did he kill people? Has DeSantis, did DeSantis kill anyone in the military? Was he a Jack? I, I think like he, was he was a the... pilot, but I'm not sure. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I worry that he was a jag because he went to law school, in which in, okay. instead of killing people, he got Americans killed. Um, but I'm sure if he was a jag, he worked on the rules of engagement as best he could. But, uh, you know, that's a shit show. And, and you know, in any case, you're basically like, this is a serious person. This is a military guy, like you can imagine. And then he basically comes in and, like, you know, does these stunts that are, like, more realistic than Trump stunts and the like but it's still a grift and like i just don't believe that like you know are we on the blaze is that the network we're on yeah the the uh you know i don't believe that like blaze viewers like buy subscriptions to the blaze and like because they want to be grifted i don't believe that anyone supports ron DeSantis because they want to be grifted i don't believe anyone supports ron DeSantis because they want to basically give put a shot of energy in their enemies veins while accomplishing essentially nothing i like you know and so yeah like i think that you know the the you know clearly people like chris rufo like see a real problem and they're like very good at like exposing that problem they're sort of exposing it in a world where like you're exposing it to who and what are they going to do right you know and then you actually start like trying to do things and you're basically just like you know i don't know what they're kind of plan to do to like new college but you know the idea that you're going to get this board in there and they're going to like pass some like rule that says you know there will be no woke at new college right and then you know all the students will like defy the rule and hold huddle little you know meetings in which they like get woke together right you know and it's just like it's so childish it's so small it's so and it's so like self-defeating and and it sort of lacks the confidence that you would expect to see in anything that had a potential to create real change I love saying creating change when I mean regime change, but the, um, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, so it's sort of like to sort of see these existential chiliastic even ideas become sort of a little more mainstream is one thing, but it basically, the problem is that it really tends to emphasize rape over seduction and when you dilute it like to you know one to a thousand you basically get this formula for being like a little bit rapey which is this like perfect sort of grift formula and it's like perfectly designed to essentially not like work and it, it's not like and 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 like as far as like the question of like sincerity of the people behind it, I don't think any of these people basically go in with like, I'm going to be a grifter. I'm going to like grift today. You know, it's just like the path of the grifter is the path of least resistance. It's sort of the path down which you flow. And like you come in there trying to make a difference and do something different. And 10 years later, having followed the path that like, functions and works and like gives you like momentum and like you know mass and like seems to be working and you look down at yourself and you notice that you have become completely a grifter because you basically followed that path of least resistance and i mean uh, like if there's a sin here it's original sin right you know it's like these are not bad people like by any means but 
you know, and it's would be very hard for me. Like, I can't imagine like being, you know, if I was in a room with Ron DeSantis, would I, what would I tell him to do instead? Um, I don't know. I wouldn't be this, but like, would I have some like great optimism that there was some like great plan? I got to get next to Ron DeSantis to give him like my like great plan, you know, like, I don't, you know, think I have anything like that. And so, you know, my extent, (coughs) you know, the, the being in the position of blaming someone for doing something rather than nothing when I think they should do nothing really is like, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to sound like too like nasty here, but I think you get where I'm coming from. Yeah. I just think for a lot of people, it sounds like saying, well, red Americans should just give up. Like, sorry, Chuds, pack it up. You know, you're just going to be under this until, you know, some cadre of elites, ro- you know, rolls in to save you and, you know, sweeps, sweeps everyone off their feet yeah, until I mean, then and, just kind of buckle down. And the, the, re- the reality is that what I'm actually saying to the Chuds is, um, Recolaire pour. I'm gonna butcher some French for you. Like French is gonna be murder here. Recolaire pour mieux sauter, which means step back to jump farther. And the thing is, if you recognize that this is not a cosmetic problem, this is a serious problem, and you need to devote serious attention to it rather than, like you know, frankly, like, hey, chuds, like if you treat this like a Pac-10 game. Like, you're not going to win. You're not being a college football fan here. Like, you know, stop, like, feeding your emotions and feeding, like, your need from dra- for drama and things that you go, make you go, rah, we're going to own the lips. No, no, actually, like, this matters. This is important. And, like, you actually have to, like, win in a sense that works. Because, yeah, things are just going to get worse and worse and worse. And we already know what the, that future looks like. It looks like the third world. It looks like the third world, and we're going to get a moment in about 10 or 20 years when the Supreme Court rules that, to use a phrase that you often hear in California, no person is illegal. And you're going to basically see that the entire idea of restricting human beings to keep them out of the North American continent is racist. And that's the point when basically you get about approximately... Um, well, certainly hundreds of millions of Africans moving to this country because they can. And why wouldn't you? And at that point, you're in a completely different ballgame. And you've basically like lost this ballgame because you were just like screwing around. And like the because the thing is that like when you look at the way that American sort of populism, the like the mass of the right, the people who are opposed to like the elites have used their power since really the 1920s. What you basically see is that power has been diminishing since the 1920s. And every point it's been basically squandered on bullshit. And so, yeah, the reality is like, okay, Chuds, you know, Maybe you might want to figure out how you can get more than 50% of you to like vote in an election. Maybe you can try to figure out how you can basically win every primary by actually getting primary voters to the polls, which are very sparsely attended, in order to basically produce a faction of, you know, Thomas Massey's and J.D. Vance's, essentially. Um, And, you know, people who are like actually serious, capable people who are, you know, nonetheless completely determined. Those people are out there. 
you know, find them, make sure they win the primaries, make sure that every Republican voter in Florida has an app on his phone, his or her phone that is going to send them to the primary to vote for the right person on that election and literally like gives them a freaking map pop up and tells them how to walk to the polling place gets a mail-in ballot delivered to their house. Like, basically, yeah, like, you want to win. Don't care about issues. Care about power. And, you know, when you're basically caring about issues and, like, you're just showing that you're not serious and your enemies only pretend to care about issues, all they care about is power. They'll take any issue that gives them power in any direction. They'll be globalists, you know, one day and nationalists another day. They'll be the same at the same time. You know, like every time you hear a liberal do a land acknowledgement, I don't know if they do these on, in Florida, we're an occupied Seminole land. They're endorsing the Nazi principle of blood and soil. And, you know, what that basically tells you is that these people will say anything to win. Okay, you're not like that. You're not there to say anything to win. You're there to be the, the faction of truth, the side of honor and decency. You won't say anything to win. So if you won't say anything to win, you have to do anything to win. And, and like you have to actually think about it as a game whose goal is not some dividend that you expect to win with power. No, you want power itself. And like, so for example, one of the best things that, you know, DeSantis has done let's let's praise DeSantis for a moment like you know you'll notice you might have noticed that in the 22 2022 midterm elections there was a rather one of one of the reasons why some early commentators got a little tripped up is that they saw the results coming out of Florida Mm -hmm. and the results coming out of Florida were for a giant red wave strangely this wave did not appear elsewhere in america i'm sure this has nothing to do with the election reforms of ron DeSantis. well maybe it does right and so the thing is that basically if you want to cause let's compare two potential causes for conservatives you could want to uh repeal roe versus wade oh wait right you already did that um what does that do um more massive contributions to the ACLU, New York Times subscribers up. Uh, You lost the midterm elections because of this. Um, But you added the cost of a Greyhound ticket to the cost of an abortion. So you probably saved some innocent unborn lives. Okay, now suppose your cause instead was to say, okay, we as Americans are going to go back to one-day elections with a secret ballot. And like... You got to, you know, elections are about showing up. You got to be there. You got to show up if you want an absentee ballot, like ask a court or something. Right. You know, so maybe a little more extreme than what DeSantis did. Uh, But basically, strangely enough, when you basically be like, you know, you put a little bit of energy into a certain kind of election security, then. I don't know, maybe it's just DeSantis's like personal popularity that caused these disparities in voting between Florida and non-Florida. All I know is it looks like it worked, right? And so when you basically say, I'm going to basically get some power by being elected governor of Florida, and then I'm going to use that power to like, you know, implement election security, and that, that power is going to sort of pay a dividend of like keeping me in power 
like, you know, then you're using power in the right way. You're actually doing a thing that works. And, you know, if this country could get back to one day elections with the secret ballot, I don't know how many extra like Republican, how that would change the, the balance of voting. It's really hard to know sort of what goes into like a mail-in ballot campaign. Uh, I guess it's somewhat messy, but you know, yeah, that seemed to deliver like a solid Republican edge in Florida of like two to 5% of the vote or whatever in a very unimpeachable way. And the and and so doing that sort of thing where you basically use power to build more power instead of getting power and just like, you know, spending it immediately like a ghetto lottery winner is like, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. If you're in it to win it, the way to be in it to win it is not to be like rah, 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 rah. We got to get, you know, is to actually use your energy much, much more efficiently you know, recognize that it's not 1776. Americans are not going to arm themselves and like take to the streets and like, you know, storm the government buildings or whatever the heck, you know, no, you want basically simple and easy things that basically allow your voters who just want to grill to do one thing one time and win completely. And if that's your mindset, you're going to get like way better and way different results. Moreover, you know, even you have to respect the grift. It's very important to respect the grift. If like the world tells you that there's like an element of like grift here, like, okay, you have to basically, but the thing is doing it for real is often a better grift. Right. Really, actually, like if you're like, OK, I'm a grifter, I need my YouTube revenue, whatever. Like, but the thing is, the more you can keep it real, like the more real you can be, the more you will like feel the energies of like heaven moving behind you, mm -hmm. you know, and saying like this grift has substance and people will like hear your grift and be like and then compare it to the other grift, which is so much less real. And they'll be like, wow, this is the real shit. You know, and so again, like, you know, doing it in this sort of little grifty like way, which sort of seems to be scary and is just like provocative is like so different from like, you know, you know, the future is a completely different world and this is how we start. And like the future is a completely different world can be like, you know, there's there's it is possible to seduce even blue elites. I, I know this because I'm a blue elite myself. Uh, I, you know, and I read the wrong books and I got seduced and I can never come back. And, you know, and, and, and like the, you know, these were, these were old books, right. You know, it's possible to like refine that message and make it more seductive and basically, you know, point yourself in the direction of like, what used to be the dirtbag left and you're like yeah actually these are people who if you're selling them <laughs> sorry if you're selling them <laughs> if you're selling elites a real future that is like really different they want to be on that bandwagon they want to be part of it they want to be in charge of it and like to say that that real future involves like uh 
peasants in the Florida panhandle who like believe in God and like just want to grill and you know all they got to all they want to do is raise their children to believe in like the sky fairy like they believe it you know like actually there's a way that you can say to even blue state people okay I know you believe in science science not from God right but actually you can let these people be <laughs> And, and like, you don't need to like persecute them. You don't need to trans their children. Do you do that to the Amish? Are you like going into like Amish country and saying like all the Amish must become trans? No, you're by their beautiful furniture with your like, you know, funny money that the Fed prints for you. Right. You know, like, and, and that's like a much more, you know, if you basically, it's like, you know, this, you know, being seductive versus being rapey, being rapey is like, okay, I'm going to, like, threaten the libs into, like, you know, they're going to fear me and they're going to do, you know, um, you know, what I want because I'm, like, going to make them fear me, you know, which is, like, a strategy reminiscent of a bad custody battle, you know, <laughs> and where I'm, like, you know, like, threaten this person into, like, doing the right thing, right? You know, and and the, like, actually, you know, if you basically say to the blue state elites, hey, like, you don't have to be afraid anymore, right? You know, here's a new thing. It's better than the old thing. It's what the hobbits out there in Florida should want. It's also what you should want, like, because it's going to be amazing for you, too. And, like, we're not going to, like, try to turn you into hobbits. And, you know, you don't have to go and take all the – you don't have to protect yourself by this, like, impossible task of turning these, like – Cajun swamp creatures into like Jews, right? You know, like you can give up on that. You know, it's expensive. It doesn't work. It's very frustrating. Just let them be hobbits, you know? And, and, and like that sense of like, I'm going to take away your fear, not by like making you agitated, but like by like actually like making you more chill and saying, okay, you can actually, here's a future where hey, you know, when I imagine the right government for America, America has many kinds of people in it, including both progressives and conservatives. And like, yeah, if you're a progressive, your children should go to a progressive school. And if they're conservatives, if you're a conservative parent, your children should go to a conservative school. And like, you know, if I say that and people look at me like I'm crazy, like <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it, you know, and and that's a very and so in, in that kind of vision, basically, you're a progressive. You don't have to be afraid of like, you know, some like Southern Baptist minister coming to your like little progressive education Waldorf school and like convincing your children that like jesus will take you to hell or something right you know and and like that's actually it's kind of more appealing and it also involves like a kind of appeal to power that is actually rather attractive because yeah you know standing between like elites want power that's what elites do like they're they scheme for power. They have nothing better to do. And if you basically offer that to them in a way that's appealing, that like is actually like real and not a stunt and is not like, oh, I'm going to like scare you into like supporting your enemies. Like it's actually much more appealing. It's actually like something that can sell. And when you basically say as, you know, okay, 
I want to fight. I want to attack. I want to own the libs. Yeah, you want to own the libs. You want to go out there and seduce their children. I mean, not literally, but like you want to get them to vote for you. You know, and, and like yeah. like two can play at that game. You know, so, and so here's the only problem. I think a sure. lot of people have a real difficulty in seeing the the progressive co coalition ever do this, right? Because the only thing gluing them together is their hatred and their right to rule and punish the chuds, right? Like denazification is the unifying religion yeah. of, of sure, the left. Sure, sure, so, sure, sure. So the but idea it, that they're just going to be like convinced to leave you alone stale, and let you... It's a stale, it's a stale religion. And, and the thing is, it's not like, you know, like what you're doing from the perspective, like they actually the thing that's motivating these voters on both sides is actually on the, among the libs. Yeah. There's a substantial portion of hate amongst the fear, but there's a lot of fear and like, and so the, you know, they're really like, you know, the times is like selling them fear every day. And the, and this has been the case since like the eighties when I started reading like the New York times, right. I would get my daily dose of like being afraid of the peasants like every day. And it's just, it's tiresome and it's not really consistent with their values. And because it's not really consistent with their values where they're like, have this weird cognitive dissonance of like going to their universe, Unitarian Universalist church and being taught not to hate and then reading the New York times and being taught to hate. Right. You know, is, is like that's a burden that they have to carry and you know if you want people's like support give them a way of like laying down that burden and then give them something that they have to destroy to you know lay it down and you know what you're basically for the latter of course yeah if you want to like overthrow anything you need a friend enemy conflict like guess what your friend enemy conflict is it's just generational Right. You know, and and so the thing is that, like, you know, um, if you basically have a viewpoint which is culturally aligned with the ruling class that basically persuades the younger members of the ruling class that the older members of the ruling class should be overthrown, that is a product that you can sell. Do you think that? the United States could make it through this transition intact. There's a lot of talk about national divorce, of course, right now. Yeah. I, I mean, think a lot know, of people mean different people things are, by it, like the self-sorting aspect or, you know, like yeah, people are sort of LARPing like geography. Right. And, and the thing is when I imagine a kind of national divorce that makes sense, like, you know, geographically it's ridiculous, but you know, the thing is like, we're not really a nation in which geography matters anyway. When I imagine something close to a national divorce that works, it's more like, okay, citizen, here's a form. You're going to write on the form which group you're part of. And which group you're part of will determine whether your kids go to the blue schools or the red schools. Uh, this is called pillarization in the Netherlands. Works perfectly fine basically allows each of these groups you know sort of takes away their reasons to mess with each other and and it doesn't have to be like geographic sorting like you can live you know next door to someone and your kids can go to different schools 
that works. You know, you can live next door to someone and you can have different laws that govern your marriage than them. And then, okay, you know, if you want to, you know, Romeo, red state Romeo wants to marry blue state Juliet, right? You know, that's a little more problematic, can be done. And, you know, but you're still basically that kind of national divorce is like basically makes a lot more sense than the like, okay, Texas will become a red state and like expel the entire population of Austin and like a new trail of tears to New Mexico or something, right? You know, uh, just this like retarded ideas like this. Uh, and and can we say retarded on the blaze? Is that okay? I mean, we already have, so. <laughs> there we go. Uh, um, um, sometimes I'll be talking in a more, uh, you know, uh, authorized context and I'll just say the R word, which, which works rather well. Or, um, you know, and and the uh, or I'll say regarded instead. You can try saying regarded. People will look at you and then look at it, right? You know, and and the uh, I'm sorry, I'm you know, Vince Ben McTone in Berkeley, but the like, yeah, you know, like that is like the difference between like this sort of thing that's like this like LARPy idea based on like 18th century politics. And like a reality that like actually works is like is sort of emblematic of like the difference between, okay, I can see that you feel that this thing is uncomfortable, but like if you chuds basically hate this thing, but don't hate it enough to stop LARPing and like deal with it like grownups, then yeah, actually you do deserve to lose. Because history just doesn't has no history has no pity for losers. Losers just lose. That's the way it works. And like, and so to think in a non-LARPy way rather than to like, you know, sort of on conser conservatism has always sort of operated on this kind of unspoken principle that like as you like turn the dial up on like conservatism, it's like don't vote, votes, you know, joins militia, joins militia, militia storms capital or whatever that's not the dial like the dial is basically how well organized can you be and how much are you actually determined simply to take power from your enemies and if you focus simply on building power and taking it from your enemies you will think in a very very different and much more effective way so one thing that you've advocated for pretty regularly is kind of the the tech ceo uh monarch right just mm -hmm. the 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 takeover Sure. I've always I mean, wondered because tech CEOs are better than other CEOs, like you know, uh, but that's sure. something you know. That I, has nothing... I, I you can make toilet paper very well, but like, yeah, sure, yeah. right. <laughs> so so my question is this: you, you know, you've talked a lot about you know being influenced by Thomas Carlyle, you know, condition of England, you know, he's sure. looking at the at these, you know, basically the spreadsheetification of of our world and inability sure. of leaders to, to understand these problems. But don't you feel like encouraging a, a tech CEO to become your monarch is just doubling down on this problem of turning everything into a spreadsheet and quantification? Do you, do you feel like that really changes? Well, the I mean, anything can be done badly, right? I mean, you know, the thing is that like any a CEO or any kind of leader, if they have any kind of competence, will like inhabit the problem in front of them and furthermore if you're a tech ceo doing anything significant and the only way that you can make decisions is by metrics like you're a terrible ceo 
And like actually often like the job of being a CEO involves making decisions that are fundamentally aesthetic with, you know, completely inadequate amounts of information. You cannot like a B test your way to like from like three guys in a room to a billion dollar corporation. It just can't be done. And so you basically need, you know, like, all I'm saying in a way is like, I really don't care if it's a, you know, tech CEO or like a, like, you know, construction firm CEO, right. You know, the job of sort of being a leader with like a vision and a purpose and a like, you know, goal is like, that's an age old problem. And, you know, it takes a certain kind of human being and it takes like, and, and, and the thing that's sort of most important, like, you know, you message to the Judds, uh, Chud, in case you don't know, is like a sort of it's a racial slur that's used for like normal Americans by by these blue state people. Right. And if you don't know what a Chud is, you're a Chud and or almost right. Yeah, it's, I guess, a younger term, but like it's, it's it's basically a racial slur, you know, and and but like the great thing to do with racial slurs is to appropriate them, of course. And so, you know, my message sort of, out, you know, to the Chuds out there is that politics kind of has this like pornographic quality where you're just like you're viscerally excited by participating in this drama in the same way that you're viscerally excited by watching like Alabama play Auburn you know but when you're watching Alabama play Auburn you're not actually doing anything and so you know everything in politics this gives you this sort of feeling of like emotional reward is a luxury it's something that you're doing for yourself and not for others. And if you can basically abandon your need for that sort of emotional reward of group participation, and once again, think sort of coldly and cleanly about how to be as powerful as possible, you will again find yourself getting very, very different answers as to what to do. And, you know, so you know, the mentality of like, you know, there's this sort of classic sort of mentality of complaint that is part of the legend of American politics where like, wow, the people are really abused. We're not going to take it. In. We're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. Remember that movie, right? You know, the thing is the principle of like, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore will rise up because of the long list of oppressions that George III has inflicted on us. Frankly, that's not actually what happened in the American Revolution. That's not why the American Revolution happened. That story wasn't even true then. And it's really not true now. And so, you know, the luxury of basically confusing your actual, like, need to win with this kind of rah-rah costume drama stuff, you know, is like it's a luxury like it's really not helping you out there chuds and like it's true that like you know when you look at the difference between desantis and charlie christ or whatever you know you sense okay desantis is a much more serious person and much more much less of like just a pure gop ink grifter but the kind of grift that he represents is arguably sort of more 
like because it takes the people that really want to do something and makes them feel like they're doing something, it's in some ways an even more dangerous grift. And like taking that energy, taking that desire to like participate in the grift, taking that like, no, we actually need like a government that is not trying to destroy us and destroy our nation, which, you know, is like, like, as the Bible says, you know, when I become a man, I put aside childish things. And I feel like there's still much that is like very childish about the way that Republican politics is conducted today. Well, that, that's certainly true. Uh, one thing I've heard you say, and it's very interesting because James Burnham obviously did a lot of work with the Machiavellians. I've heard you say that you're not a fan of the managerial revolution. Do, do you think the idea of the managerial class is just bunk or what is your problem? The problem with the idea of them, you know, uh, if you'd have called it the bureaucratic revolution, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. The okay. fundamental, you know, like, unfortunately, the main idea of the managerial revolution is also the most wrong idea of the managerial revolution because it's this equation between bureaucrats and managers and, you know, as someone who sort of has seen the bureaucratic side of it and like knows just from my background and knows the managerial side of it directly, these things couldn't be more different because bureaucracy fundamentally has this bottom up tone of like diffusing responsibility, whereas management is the concentration of responsibility. And so, you know, when you look at a bureaucratic organization, it functions by process. And when you look at a kind of truly managerial organization, it works like an army. It works by command. And there's really like command and process are like the two opposed poles of how to run a large organization. There's always a little bit of process with your command. There's always a little bit of command with your process. But essentially, you know, by equating the two and by describing this like managerial class, which, you know, okay, it's like an educated class is the like as the same as like government bureaucrats is like fundamentally not correct. So if you just switched out the phrase bureaucratic class, would you find that the the self-interest and the bureaucratic drift inside things like corporations and government entities a compelling narrative or, or, or well you if you if you look at the apart? if you look at the bureaucratization of the private sector, again, you know, equating like you know, if you equate a bureaucrat with a manager, you basically don't see the tension between the two and you don't see basically how if you look at like google over the last 20 years it goes from being this very command oriented very startupy kind of organization to this very bottom-up longhousey bureaucratic oligarchical structure that's very related to google being a monopoly and having no real competitive pressures from the outside and the like, I mean, uh, monopoly should either be part of the government or they should be part of an economic order that's structured to allow competition. 
Uh, and, you know, when you have sort of neither, you have like unaccountable stuff and you have stuff that decays like Google. And when you have a monopoly that is not externally responsible in the proper way, then the like the the you know it's just like bureaucracy grows like mold and fungus and bureaucracy is fundamentally unlike a command organization bureaucracy is fundamentally self-interested and so it basically develops these james burnham like things bureaucracy is interested in power so it grows in hr you know mm -hmm. i mean the right doesn't work like the left but imagine you know Google's HR being taken over by like Christians, like really hardcore Christians. And then, you know, they basically put a, you know, a thumb on the scale. Like if you believe in God, you know, I mean, nothing's, you know, this is like to examine the level. I mean, revolutions, you know, I have arrows. They don't work in the opposite of, revolution is not revolution in the opposite direction as as major said but if we imagine you know i was just talking to a very libertarian you know california tech libertarian friend who recounted his time in the 90s protesting while he was at uc berkeley against loyalty oaths which were the last vestige of like the 1950s some fool in California in the 1950s in a very DeSantis-like way and passed the law saying professors have to sign an oath that they're not communists. Well, what do you suppose the communist professors did? They signed an oath that they weren't communists. Mm -hmm. Who was enforcing this? Nobody. It was a dead letter. And basically, you know, my friend is like, Sansi's like, these loyalty oaths are an outrage, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, this is like completely toothless, like, you know, sort of sop to the, like, idiotic voters of Tulare County who are subsidizing UC Berkeley, right? You know, whereas the 2020s roll around and suddenly we have loyalty oaths again, except they're called, uh, you know, inclusion statements or whatever, and they are enforced. And like, it does matter like what you've done. So you want to really imagine having power over these institutions. Imagine, you know, a situation where to get hired as a mechanical engineering professor at Florida State, you have to submit a document talking about your Christian faith, what you've done for Christ, how you've helped Christians in an academic setting, uh, you know, how you fought back against, you know, uh, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the way to do it. That's not the way that sort of diversity statements will disappear it's sort of more of a thought experiment of just being like this is these are the levels of power that we're dealing with and the problem is that when you basically do the DeSantis thing of saying passing some like toothless law you know in, in the same way that was done in the 20s and the 50s you're going to pass some toothless law you're basically giving people all of the energy that they would have if well, they wouldn't have this energy even, but they're sort of imagining a world where to get a job as a professor, you have to show, you know, what you did for Christ. And then, hey, you want to work in the private sector? You know, have you made any anti-Christian statements on your Twitters? Right. You know, have you taken God's name in vain? Right. You know, and they'll go back and they'll find something from 2018 where you took God's name in vain or something. And you'll be like, you know, 
how can this person, how can a person who take God, takes God's name in vain be working with young people? What a travesty this is, right? You know, that's the level of power. If you wanted to be like, be rapey and do it in their way, that's, you know, you want to really like conceive a child through rape, go ahead. Like if you can get there with basically having your like Christian HR departments in every, you know, company in Florida, like, but you know, as soon as you say it, you realize that it's like not real. And, but you know, what's even less real is basically pretending that you can get the same result with basically a stupid law that says no communism in the classroom or something like that's just embarrassing. And, and, and like, you know, and it's sort of like, like what I like want, like people to hear you know is like yeah like actually don't just do nothing don't just do something stand there like things that seem like positive actions can have like negative results but even if you're just standing there you're not standing there just to stand there you're standing there to realize like what would it mean to actually solve this problem rather than just sort of like you know it's like if you're an animal and you're like in the teeth of a predator, right? That's a dangerous situation to be in. And your natural impulse is to like struggle. That predator is designed for animals that basically take out their natural impulse and like struggle. Struggle sort of implies like desperation and implies chaos. And it's like, you know, if, you don't struggle, you strategize, you plan, right? You basically, you know, it's like the, the Gom Jabbar scene from like Dune. Like, you know, you want to win, like be a human, don't be an animal. And when you're basically trying to win like an animal, you're just like anything that gives me this like hit of dopamine of like beyond the lips. We sent the immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, right? You know, like, it's just like, it's this huge, like, you know, like, 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 it's exciting, right. To like hack the libs like that way, but it's really like all you're doing is like hacking the dopamine systems of your supporters so that they basically get another hit so that they keep coming back to your show, but to say, okay, this is not a show. Like we're not going to do this as a show. This is going to be real this time is like actually in its way, like much more exciting. Like that's what drives me crazy. Like doing it for real is actually a better grift. Do you have a little bit of time for the questions of the people? Sure. Let's take the questions of the people. All right. So Kyle Jones uh, for $10. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> Haiti just needs democracy to be in Norway. Viva la barbecue. One, one good yes, vote I away. The one, 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 one good vote away. Actually, Haiti has actually, re there are actually no elected officials in Haiti anymore. The whole thing just expired before they, they, they could hold elections. And the real power in Haiti, according to New York Times anyway, is a, uh, is a gang leader named Barbecue. Now, there's some debate over uh, the name, actually, of this fellow, Barbecue. You'll see it covered on his Wikipedia page. Uh, you know, according to him, the name Barbecue was given to him because his mother sold fried chicken 
on the streets of Port-au-Prince and has nothing to do with burning his enemies alive. And, you know, I, like, let's choose to believe that. Let's, you know, maybe we could support, like, there could be like a GoFundMe for barbecue, you know, we, we could we could support him as like the new leader of Haiti or something because, um, you know, I prefer, prefer to see the de facto become, um, become the de jure. But, uh, you know, it's sort of interesting to look at even just the history of U.S. engagement with Haiti, because you've suddenly reached the point where actually there is no appetite in the international community for another invasion of Haiti. Yeah. You know, they could do it in the 20s with the Marines and then, you know, they do it in the early 2000s. They send the Nepali UN peacekeepers in and the Nepali UN peacekeepers not only accomplish nothing, but like give them like this like nasty Nepali strain of cholera, which is now like infesting the country. And, you know, you've got a like and, and this challenge. OK, you know, like I was talking to this is a reference to a conversation I had with a lib in which he basically suggested that the right public policy for Haiti, like the thing that would really fix Haiti would be to have a higher minimum wage. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, you got to hand it to anyone who has the courage of that level of conviction. Right. But the thing is, then you go to conservatives and you're like, well, you know, what would be the right thing for Haiti? And they would be like, well, they should, you know, the vision of Martin Luther King, you know, was to have the U.S. Constitution in Haiti. So, you know, what they really need is the separation of powers and, uh, you know, the wisdom of the founders, you know, right, right, right. So, you know, so so these these these. For like understanding political, real smash mouth political signs from like the ground up, like don't think about like, oh, what is the right political system for Norway? Like, you know, think about what is the right political system for Haiti and then like generalize that problem from the hard case of Haiti to the easy case of Norway. Because honestly, Norway can pretty much basically govern itself. I mean, Norway's like the like net testosterone of like Norway has been as far as I can tell decreasing for like the last 2,500 years. And there's currently as much testosterone in Norway as there is in the average, like Ohio high school football team, you know, and, well, and that like, might mean that someone else might eventually govern Norway, but yeah, I hear yeah, you. yeah, it might, it might, it <laughs> might, uh, you know, really a farsighted government of Norway would be like, have like a, testosterone restoration plan you know yeah. which might involve start slonking the eggs guys start slonking um, the eggs and yeah. playing football exactly uh so prog skeptic for uh ten dollars hey curtis big fanny work i'm currently trying to read up on colonialism uh, uh history in south america and africa i don't trust amazon to give me unbiased suggestions any recommendations oh um yeah, that's an interesting, I guess, I think my recommendation is sort of more for like method than for, it's a sort of a pretty broad topic. So really what you're looking for is one out of two things, either books published before 1940 and preferably before 1930 because really the publishing industry becomes essentially wokeified between 1930 and 1940, or you're looking for obscure publishers typically between 1950 and 1975 who are basically taking publishing books by people with pre-war educations and perspectives. And so there you're looking for, more niche presses, Western Islands, Arlington House, Devon Adair, 
there's probably equivalents in the UK, but I don't really know them. But yeah, when you when you basically fall into, you know, the sort of like, I mean, books from the other side did get published and you'll know them when you see them <laughs> and 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 they're all i mean you can you know i always recommend the fun old movie uh, africa adio which is like this uh italian pro-colonialist history of decolonization in africa that was made in the late 60s um might want to fast forward some of the animal cruelty uh sections but really a great movie um but yeah like you basically like you just have to, you know, go looking in the right periods from the right publishers for stuff like that. Band again for $50. Thank you very much, sir. Very generous. What does total victory look like? What does total defeat look like? Well, I think we touched a little bit on those, but, uh, but yeah, what, a lot of people, what, what does victory look like here? What, how do we know? I mean, total, total, total defeat looks like, you know, what we have now, but worse. It just looks like the third world getting, closer and closer and more and more like, you know, un like solvable. Um, I think total victory is a more, the way to sort of conceive of total victory is to imagine the way the path, the future will look at the present, which is its past. And if you think about the way people in like Germany in 2005 looked at East Germany, you'll sort of have a picture of that where you basically see this, like you look backward and you see this thing that's like, yeah, there's like, you know, sort of economic things wrong with it. Like you can't get a banana or whatever, but it's just like this feeling of like complete depression and futility. And the number of people in our society who basically honestly in their like professional and even personal lives are not in a state of like depression, futility and general enemy are like very low. Like you'll go and find like they're, the only sector of society that feels in any sense alive is the uppermost upper class. And you'll find like lower Manhattan is hopping, you know, like it's doing great, you know, and, you know, if you're part of the ruling class, life still works for you. We can't imagine a world in which life has begin has begun to like work again for people who are not in the laptop class. And even for people in the laptop class, like actually your life could be a lot more fulfilling and enriching. You could have a lot more community. You could have a lot more meaning. Probably for at least half the people in that class, you would find a much more meaningful life doing something with your hands than with your laptop. And the like making all of those things like possible and like feeling, you know, it's like if people from America from a hundred years ago saw this country, yes, they would be disturbed by various, you know, areas of like squalor and like decay, but the country would just seem kind of dead to them except for these little, except from like lower Manhattan, right? You know, 
and you know things that look like lower manhattan with people that are like lower manhattan people and you know the feeling of like most i mean i a couple summers ago i'm not ago, sure I that people from 100 years street. ago would be uh, dazzled by lower manhattanites but go, go no they'd be they'd be like they find it acceptable like you know they would they, they accept, except they that they no well they'd find that they were dressed very badly but like you I know, know that would be their main concern but okay like, well you know just, it might be it might be the the, the, street, the castration really, right. of children in schools and yeah, stuff yeah, that, that might they, that know, might that's be scandalous. Not being done on the you know that's not being done in broad daylight on Brum Street you know okay. and, and and the uh, maybe it should be you know if you're gonna do that do it in public but own like, it in public yeah right. own it in okay. public right but but yeah I mean you know sure they would see that they would see things that disturb them but like just the level of like watching like video footage from the future and being like oh my god it's dead like imagine like the citizens of like Birmingham Alabama you know in 1923 seeing Birmingham Alabama in 2023 they would just be like alien invasion like you know I mean and and so the thing is that you know what total victory looks like is just sort of a tremendous sense of like civilizational rebirth in which everyone's kind of excited to participate and that feeling of rebirth is what you should have if you if you have anything that's sort of like a regime change and it doesn't have that feeling of like joyous rebirth then you're probably doing something wrong so sage here for five euros i think uh why did you settle uh in the elves hobbits analogy uh what happened to the armagers yeoman and lazari also uh, is the book ever coming well out um, um, yeah, the book is, as I mean, I like, you know, I, the book is coming out with, uh, passage press. Uh, I'm recently, you know, my personal life has been somewhat in turmoil, but I'm, I'm going to release a, uh, you know, uh, the, I have, I, I sort of, I posted a bunch of drafts of a version and then I'm like, this isn't quite right. And I have a first chapter that will, uh, of a new thing that will come out uh, soon as for the analogies, like, you know, uh, you know, if I can say the same thing in a way that's more mass market accessible, but I'm still saying the same thing, like I will. And, you know, so the sense of like, basically, you know, I think my earlier work had sort of more of a sense of like creating an alternate universe and I like sort of focus a little more these days on like converging that alternate universe with like the real version, the real universe that we live in. Yeah. We don't get a lot of patchwork anymore. Um, yeah. It's still there. It's still there. It's coming. Okay. <laughs> All right. Many people will be happy to hear that. Uh, uh, definitely, definitely. The answer is definitely. I would have been a Bonapartist in um, 1810 <laughs> if I was, if I was French uh, and, and you know, the, the, the feeling of like, actually napoleon the feeling of napoleonic france is like in some ways the most accessible kind of feeling of like national transformation you can imagine unfortunately it's associated with this like world war which was not good in which napoleon eventually lost but still basically napoleon's like reinvention of france is like so for example you know one of the things napoleon finds napoleon's basically a startup guy he's very like a tech ceo and one of the things he finds when he looks at france is that the legal system is a complete shit show 
Uh, you know, one of the things that you may find if you look at America, have you ever been involved in a legal matter, is that the legal system is a complete shit show. And, you know, the idea of basically taking this thing and like redesigning it, rebuilding it from scratch seems just like as impossible to us as the idea of like rebuilding Microsoft Windows from scratch. And yet Napoleon did it. And basically Napoleon rewrote the operating system of France. And France to this day, despite many um, much water that has flowed under the bridge, is still kind of basically running on the Napoleonic operating system. And that's sort of what makes it, other than Japan, I would say France is still one of the least American countries in the Western world. And that's due to Napoleon. Yeah, it was uh, just there recently. It is. It is definitely one of the least American. So, uh, Christian uh, Smitherman for two dollars. Uh, Curtis, what do you like most about Michael Malice? Um, it's a two dollar question. So <laughs> you feel like you should have um, paid more. Yeah. I yeah no. Uh, well, um, if if Malice is going to yeah. send a sock account in here, he's got to put some more money down. You know. Yeah, yeah. I would say uh, without going into details, um, I would say his openness to new kinds of experience. <laughs> it's very exciting. Sounds very exciting. I'll know what I mean. <laughs> the Salty Rainbow for $20. Return to Christ. Don't listen to Pharisees. Well, returning to Christ is always... Well, you know, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, to paraphrase the Bible, the Pharisees we have always with us, right? You know, and 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 the Pharisees are... I think historically actually like quite similar to the like blue state elites we have to deal with now. Not that my Bible history is all that great, you know, at the same time, you know, of course, one, one never steps in the same river twice, uh, you know, the, like, I don't know what the organizing principle of the next regime will be i think you know yeah, I, I, I christ has done fine for a couple thousand years it's like i tend to feel that we're in we're simply in a very impious and very ironic age and so you know the sort of like there's a way and, and, you know, which makes it a sort of satanic age. And the question of how that satan the satanic character of the age, because like it or not, politics is the art of, art of the possible and sort of the art of kind of converting the satanic character into something that looks like the kingdom of heaven is the sort of jujitsu feat that maybe, you know, involves using the forces and methods of the day for something that has got to, again, look a little bit like the kingdom of heaven, right? You know, and that's a delicate, like, feat of martial arts and, like, once again, there's a sort of like, you know, in the kingdom of Satan, can like men be seduced by Christ, you know, and how does Christ accomplish that? Uh, these are questions that I don't understand, but like, I definitely, to say that the like theological echoes of the modern problem are not real 
is like you know no you can really you can't even a person even a completely atheistic secular person with a completely like blue state background like mine can sort of parse this conflict and see the way in which it can really be seen in a deep and non-frivolous way as the contest of Satan and Christ. KJ here for $20. Credentialism has uh, was supposed to lead to real world jobs, which no longer is the case outside of STEM and is number one burden of debt on Gen Y. Could drastic public school job internship programs help deal an effective blow to academia? Do you, well, do you think you have a serious, any- yeah, you have a serious problem there, which is, you know, elite overproduction. And so, you know, when you basically lead people on paths out of the system, your question is often like, okay, but like, where are they going? Right. And the thing is that there aren't really super duper clear answers to that. It's true, for example, that we have like uh, a rather large shortage of basically skilled blue collar work in this country and shortages lead to like high pay. And, you know, it's a fact that it's getting pretty expensive to call the plumber. And, you know, does that lead me to, like, want my son to be a plumber? That's a harder question. Like, uh, I'm thinking probably not really. And so, you know, the sense of, like, you know, I'm sort of, this is why it feels sort of more promising in some ways to, like, infiltrate these systems, you know, as, like, depressing as it is to work inside them and you're not really like infiltrating them sort of in this like conspiracy sense you're just sort of like spreading like you know one of the things that i like to say is that every regime can resign every regime can sort of grow tired of life you know there's no monarchy that has like a provision for abdicating in it but it somehow turns out that any king can abdicate and so you know when i'm basically like you know, what is the path for someone who is like based to like exist in this world? You know, I want to, my answer to the question winds up always being like, just like hide your power level and just follow the track that works for you. I don't know that like pulling people aside from that is a way that like actually works. But, but do you feel question? Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, do you feel like the the breaking the stranglehold of academic credentialism is an essential part of kind of shifting things? Well, not in the short term, obviously. Yeah, no. Term. I mean, the thing is, you have you know, there are two kinds of credentials. There are credentials that like mean something, and credentials that don't. And so, you know, to the extent that you can basically produce, you know, credentials in the tech world that means something without the involvement of academia. Of course, these are like, you know, kind of, these are high status rather than low status jobs. It's not quite the same as being a plumber. Yeah. It's good. Like, and the, like, but ultimately it's like, when you try to, when you try to kind of take energy away 
from these systems like you have to you know it's like people say well you know harvard is harvard is just a hedge fund you know now right it's like basically people are still going to go to harvard to get english lit and sociology degrees let alone like computer science degrees you're still you know these institutions being dominant institutions are still going to attract amazing people, however much they screw up the admissions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's basically what these private sector things are doing. If you look at like, say Lambda school, like, you know, would I rather have hire someone who had, an undergraduate degree in computer science from Harvard or a graduate of like the sort of Lambda school boot camp. Well, I'd rather hire the Harvard grad. Conversely, if I had the opportunity to go to either of those things and I was a kid, I'd still rather go to Harvard. You know, so breaking that is like, breaking that is really hard. Moreover, if you're breaking it as a business, your business tends to operate around like the middle of the curve because it needs volume and it doesn't really operate at like the peak. And like the peak is if I want to compete with Harvard, I need a collection of like computer scientists that are like more amazing than the average like Harvard professor. And, you know, that's a sort of different, you know, which can be done. Right? I can imagine doing that. It's a very different thing from Lambda School. And so, sure. yeah, you know, the, those things, when those things come out as like a, it's like businesses they turn out to like not be the path to um like actually competing with harvard sure but i mean if, if harvard and yale and stuff you know they turn down enough qualified you know really bright like white and asian kids because they just don't yeah. check enough boxes they weren't really willing to change their pronouns to to, to kind of make that happen then eventually no matter how much prestige they're handing out like there's a yeah there there's, there's a problem, uh, you know right? if they're if they're doing that well there's a it's not really a problem it's just that there's like free energy for some opposing system to collect right, yeah. but you still got to collect it you sure. still have to like do the work you still have to basically get donors to throw you know tens or hundreds of millions of dollars something that is not going to produce a return even as a return on power for decades and you know a part of the part of the problem that the right has is like it's just full of this like easy gratification kind of thinking and so the idea of frankly a right-wing activist saying to donors hey you know you need to like invest money deeply for the wrong term long term rather than basically saying how am i going to throw twenty thousand dollars at this and get a twenty thousand dollar you know sugar rush when you're worth 20 billion dollars no like that's not you're just like not serious you're not you know you're playing too small ball and just like all over the right even despite the like escalations and like levels of ball playing you know the like the the everybody's playing sort of small quick ball rather than you know really trying to win the game it is shockingly difficult to get people who are theoretically right wing to make serious long term investments in in, in yeah, victory. You're, you're absolutely right yeah. about that. Uh, uh, Lev uh, from Break the Rules here, letting us know that uh, he's shitting out his two favorite uh, Break the Rules guests. Thank you for stopping by, All right. sir. Shout out! Shout out to my favorite Ho Ho. 
And uh, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> so. It's a it's okay. a it's a racial slur, but but it's okay. okay. It's not, bad. Okay. not about Americans. <laughs> um, let's see, uh, Evan Schultz. I appreciate your your super chat, sir. But unfortunately, we have to say monetized on YouTube, so we won't be going through those. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, Pranomian Chomsky. Uh, what are oh, some of Anon's that curse enjoys? That, you know, I mean, you know, it's just like honestly, I think like what's the non- secret Twitter handle? You can tell us. I don't. What's I'm not it? on Twitter. Like, <laughs> okay. you know, I think honestly, I think a non, you know, frog Twitter, if you will, is very much like an effective meritocracy the problem is that it's a meritocracy like with like random like shootings and so i find you know these days that you know people for example don't even know the names like hakan rodenward or medicinone for you remember those fellows i was at a you know a hopping party in new york two or three months ago and these two people come up to me on the floor and it is literally hakan and mena together and I'm like, oh, my God, like, I'm, you know, I, I feel like I've been visited by, like, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington together. And then we talk for, like, five minutes. And then the party ends. And then I direct them to the wrong after party. Uh, you know, so so I think that, you know, Frog Twitter is actually a pretty good meritocracy. And the people who have strong reputations there really are, have, like, depth and strength. But, like, you have to consider the fallen. Right. You know, and like the the greats are not just the greats that are publishing currently. And so when I find that people are have never heard of like Hakan, you know, who was the first, for example, to inform us that women only like camping because it reminds them of being abducted by an enemy tribe is is like, you know, yeah, there's 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 old kids don't even know the classics anymore it's it's kids don't even know the classics anymore it's very Very, sad all right all right a little uh, i'm i'm close to having to run here well good uh, news because we just got through all of them so uh, you tapped out just in time curtis i know you've got uh you gotta go but do you want uh i thought i saw a qualified reservations book coming out yeah so passage passage press is putting out um a uh, a book of old unqualified reservations classics uh which uh you know actually i haven't read this stuff since it was published so you know but i'm i'm told it's good and then uh you know my substack gray mirror is uh, among other things uh drafting you know my book to be called a gray mirror and that's graymirror.substack.com gray with an a the american way check it out read it subscribe to it Excellent. Well, thank you for coming by, everybody. Make sure you check out Curtis's work. Of course, if you have not subscribed to this channel, please do so. And if you'd like to hear this as a podcast, you can go ahead and check out the Oren McIntyre Show on all your favorite podcast networks. Make sure you go ahead and leave a rating and review if you do. Thanks for all the great questions, guys. We really appreciate you coming by. And as always, 